this is one of the only issues, probably the only issue actually, that most of us just never talk to anybody about. And so here's the problem is that because we don't talk about it, there's a lot of mythology that actually gets built up in our minds and we start operating based on a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings. And so if we never actually sort of figure out how to communicate with our spouse around this topic, we'll keep operating based on these myths. Welcome to this episode of the Artist Spousing Podcast. Thanks for taking time out of your full life and joining us for the show. Yeah, we hope you had a great week. We are super excited about today's show. We have Shanti Feldhahn with us to talk about her new book, Secrets of Sex and Marriage. Listen, this is a must read for your marriage. We've been blown away by the insights from this book. Yeah, Shanti is a best-selling author, social researcher, speaker, and podcaster with a graduate degree from Harvard. She's super smart. I feel smarter after Much being smarter than us, for sure. <laughs> That's right. Shanti uses her analytical background to help relationships thrive. She and her husband, Jeff, have co-authored groundbreaking relationship books with nearly 3 million copies sold. That's amazing. So if you've ever wondered, are we normal? Or why isn't my spouse interested in sex like I am? Or maybe you thought, I don't want to feel pressured, but I don't want to disappoint my spouse. Or maybe you've wrestled with the question, how can we get on the same page and create a thriving, intimate life that is equally satisfying for both of us? Well, if any of those questions resonate with you, this episode is going to be extremely helpful for you and your marriage. It is going to be a fascinating conversation. I can't wait. But before we jump into that conversation with Shanti, we want to make sure you know about the Marriage Reboot Retreat. This is a two-day intensive with James and I, where we focus on defining your purpose and vision for your marriage. Take a listen to what Scott and Donna had to say about their reboot experience. I would say we had a good marriage, but we had some areas that we needed to improve on, specifically communication, and we had some areas with our parenting skills. One of the takeaways that we had that was so good was it gave us the next step. It equipped us to move forward in our faith walk and in our marriage. It unstuck us to move to the next point. It really helped us in our communication skills. We didn't realize that we had faulty perceptions and faulty belief systems. So once we kind of gained awareness of that and we were given the tools, it's really just impacted our marriage in such a great way. Our communication has greatly improved, not only between Donna and I, but also with our family and our friends. We are so thankful for the tools that we gain to grow deeper in our communication and our intimacy is better. And we've created sustainable habits from the guidance and the reboot that has affected our marriage. I would highly recommend the marriage reboot because it's given us hope, it's given us direction, and it's given us purpose. So if you're interested in finding that more about their marriage reboot retreat, we would love to talk to you about it. You can schedule a call with us with the link in the show notes or online at artespousing.com forward slash marriage coaching. You can also direct messages on Instagram with the word call, C-A-L-L, and we'll send you a link. Okay, let's jump into our conversation with Shanti. Shanti, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's a real honor to be spending some time with you. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Thanks for asking me. Well, we are so excited to talk about your book. We're going to jump right in. We're excited to read it and in the throes of it. And so such great stuff. What makes Secrets of Sex and Marriage so different from other intimacy and marriage books? 
So, first of all, I can't quite believe that I've actually written an intimacy <laughs> book. So, just let's start with that. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. That this is being written by somebody who really didn't originally want to write an intimacy book. Basically, the difference between what we've tried to do and what a lot of other great resources are out there is that I know sort of the lane that God has called me to. There are plenty of good books out there that are written by, you know, somebody who's trying to write a sex manual. <laughs> that is not this <laughs> because I am not a psychologist, <laughs> right? Mm. And so one of the things that I feel pretty strongly about is staying in my lane. And that is really sort of a calling, I think, as a researcher to dig out the little things that make a big difference mm. yeah. to help people in their relationships. And so I enlisted because I knew that this topic was so crucial for marriage and I could do damage on this topic if I wasn't completely accurate. I actually enlisted one of our longtime advisors, who's one of the most renowned sex therapists in the Christian community, Michael Seitzma, to co-author this with me. And so what we did was we approached this as this is a research project. We are going to dig out what are those little things that matter that people don't recognize that matter because there's a lot of heartache in this area of marriage that doesn't have to be there. And so that's essentially what we were trying to solve. What are those things? So that's really kind of the narrow lane that we're trying to stick to. And this was a pretty massive research project, right? Like, (laughs) can you talk a little bit about the research that went into the book? Yeah, this was a three-year research project. It cost us $120,000. It was essentially the goal behind all, actually, every research project that I've done. This was the 12th of our kind of big nationally representative studies. The goal of all of them, because it is to dig out those little things that matter, we essentially do it in several phases that I don't need to get into all the descriptions. But in the end, it was with interviews and nationally representative surveys of more than 5,300 people. And it included the largest survey that's ever been done with married couples on this topic that has that is a nationally representative sample. So you say one thing you found was the importance of communication and intimacy in marriage. We know a lot of people don't want to talk about this in their marriage. So is it (laughs) We were just saying that the reason we're having you on the podcast is because we don't want to talk about it. So we're gonna invite our friend to talk about it. So tell us why it's important to talk about it. Okay, here's the thing about this issue of communication. Like, everybody knows that communication is important in marriage. Like, we all know that. And yet, on this topic, we also all don't want to talk about it. It's just awkward, right? It's this sacred topic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to talk about it with each other because it's awkward. And we definitely don't really talk to, like, even our closest friends. Like, this is one of the only issues, probably the only issue, actually, that most of us just never talk to anybody about. Sure. And so here's the problem is that because we don't talk about it, there's a lot of mythology that actually gets built up in our minds and we start operating based on a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings. And so if we never actually sort of figure out how to communicate with our spouse around this topic, We'll keep operating based on these myths. 
And if you're by definition, if you're operating based on wrong information, <laughs> there's going to be some problems, yeah, right? That's right. And so that's actually one of the reasons that we were so excited to really dive in and do the research, which was honestly to give people what do you talk about? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, what are those things that are important? I think most of us, we tend to avoid talking about the topic because we think we're going to be talking about techniques and body parts. Yeah. <laughs> and none of us want to go there. Right. Um, but one of the things that we found that was really essential for everybody to know is that when people are having tension around this topic, when there's misunderstandings, when there's disappointments, when somebody's feeling pressured, it's actually not about techniques, right? It's actually, there's a bunch of other stuff that's running under the surface. And once we think of it that way, like it's about, you know, these different expectations and how I was raised to think something should be this way or that way. And maybe insecurities and worries and beliefs about this topic. And that stuff is actually a lot easier to talk about. Yeah. And that's those are the real issues. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those myths. I'd love to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Well, one of the most important ones, I'll just be really frank, is because we don't talk to even our closest friends about this topic, literally the only idea that we have about how sex kind of works is either what's gone on in our own personal life or what we see on the screen. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's kind of it. Like yeah. there's no other input generally. And so we see something on television or a movie and it gives us that there's this one way that sex and intimacy and desire just work. Mm. And you could kind of describe it the sort of the Hollywood way. <laughs> you could kind of describe it as this concept that the man and the woman look at each other. This is what you see portrayed. Right. The, the man and the woman look at each other and there's some sort of spark, like yeah. there's this hunger, there's this the desire that rises up and pretty soon they start kissing and the clothes are off and they're in bed. Right. Right. Like, and it's just, that's the way it works. Like you feel desire and you do something about it. Well, it turns out in terms of myths that that is one way that desire works, but there's a second way that it works as well, that is just as common, actually a little more common. And it gets in the in the way of our happiness and our marriage and our satisfaction in our intimate life when we think there's just this one way. Mm. Because if we don't see that happening in our intimate life, Right. If, you know, the, the say the higher desire person is like, why doesn't my spouse want me? Why aren't they interested? Because in to their mind, interested means you have that feeling of desire right. and you're ripping my clothes off. Right. right? <laughs> like that's what that means. And so and it, it's like, oh, my gosh, am I not as desirable? And then the other person feels pressure, like what's wrong with me? Am I broken? Like, I don't I don't fit that. And so there's this huge freedom that actually comes by saying, okay, that's one type of desire. You could call that initiating desire. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's the, you feel something, you feel that sense of desire, you do something about it. But the second type of desire that most people don't even know exists is called receptive desire. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And receptive desire actually physiologically works in the reverse order. This was like this huge surprise to me. 
And it essentially, literally, the person with receptive desire, that person has to decide to get sexually engaged with their partner. They're not feeling that sense of desire. Okay. They, it's a decision. And so as they start getting engaged with their partner in that way, then things start moving in their physiology and assuming that this is all positive, like this is all assuming a marriage of goodwill right. and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But assuming that that's positive, eventually they start feeling the desire, maybe even five to 10 minutes later that their spouse felt from the very beginning. And so it's not that one person is broken. It's not that they're not interested. It's that you have a Hollywood idea of what interest means. And so just knowing this one difference, it, it brings so much freedom. Yeah. So does one gender, male or female, tend to be more on the side of initiating desire? <laughs> yeah, I think we know. <laughs> we can probably guess the answer to that one. But it's not universal, right? Okay. It, that tends to be more of a male-oriented sort of pattern. But it's not universal, actually. I think it was 16% of women had initiating desire. I'm trying to remember some of the numbers. It was in this, again, in the national representative survey, if you look at which couples have the husband have higher desire versus the wife have higher desire, 24% of of couples, the wife is actually the one who has the higher sex drive, the higher libido, wants sex more often. This is something a little bit different, which is about the type of desire. And I think it was 73% of women have the receptive desire. Okay. So that may be why there's a myth that guys want sex more than girls want sex, right? Yeah. Because it's, what do you mean by want, right? Like it was interesting. One of our very first informal surveys, because we, we did a lot of informal surveys. We did a lot of focus groups. We did a lot of that before we did the big national surveys, you know, and one of our informal surveys, we just sent out an email to all of our followers and anyone who wanted to pass it around and basically said, if you could ask a sex therapist one question (laughs) about your intimate life, you know, what would it be? And I don't remember eight, 900 people responded. And the top answer by far was, why isn't my spouse interested? Wow. You know, why don't they want me? And it's because you have sort of a myth, a mythological idea about what wanting and what interest means. Your spouse is probably just as interested as you are. It's just activated completely differently. Interesting. That's really amazing. That's so informative, so liberating just to, to know that. So that's a pretty big surprise. I mean, finding, I would think, you know, as you're getting this, were there any other like major surprises or like ahas that? That you came across as you're doing this research? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? Like everything was a surprise. To me. Nothing was a surprise to our co-author, Dr. Mike, you right. know, the sex therapist. He's been doing this for 30 years, like nothing surprised him. But everything surprised me in time. Right. I should use a dad joke and say there was no climax to like the surprises. Oh, good grief. Oh, you're so bad. That's not funny. That's I not even that's funny. That's a dad joke, but that's worse. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can't make that dad joke. That's right. Um, you know, it's really, it's interesting. I was personally really taken aback and really kind of convicted, I guess, by the recognition that here, you know, Jeff and I, when we started the project, we've been married 25 years. Now it's 28 years. We started this married 25 years and 
I realized there was so much I didn't know about him. And there was so much that he didn't know about me. And there were so many of these things that we realized we're believing these thoughts in our heads that just aren't true necessarily. And it was really kind of challenging and convicting to go, wow, we really haven't talked about this enough. Like we really haven't communicated. Here's another surprise. Like here was another one of the ones that to me was like, whoa, one of the biggest, most common issues, one of the biggest sort of, even though it's sort of a minor thing to some people, common day-to-day conflict on this topic comes just because one spouse wants more than the other. Right. Like that's just that's one of the most common kind of pain points. And that's 79 percent of couples. Okay, 79 percent of couples, one spouse wants more than the other. And and so it lends itself to all these like, why don't you want me? And, you know, some of these emotional things. We think that when one spouse wants more than the other, that this disconnect, this gap, that there's one reason why. We think it's because this person, the lower desire person, just has a lower libido, like it's a lower sex drive. And so that's the reason. And that is certainly that's what I used to think. Absolutely. And so what that does sort of sneaky, but it's in all of our brains. What that means, if that would be true, if it is that this lower desire person, that's the reason is there a lower libido? Oh my gosh, that basically means it's that person's fault, right? Like, yeah, I mean, what pressure to put on that person for them to feel like, you know, the reason for the disappointment and the heartache and the whatever, it's me. And that's not healthy, right? And so one of the big aha moments that was so encouraging and basically what the whole book was about and trying to dig out were, okay, you have this gap and it turns out, yeah, one person might have a lower desire level, but that is usually not the issue. Like that may be there some of the time, but the vast majority of the time, there are a lot of other reasons like the different desire types, Mm. Right. Like the uh, somebody who has initiating desire may not know that the receptive desire person, they just need to be approached differently. Right. They need to know what you've got on your menu for the evening before you get to the bedroom. <laughs> like, you, know, you have to like flirt with them or like wink at them, you know, right. like whatever it is that, you know, it, it sort of gets them thinking about it. And, and that lends itself to one of the other surprises. So because basically the whole book was like, OK, what are the reasons for this? What are some of the things we need to know? And one of them was that we just literally don't have signals of what one person or both people would like to have happen later. Like, And we don't know to take our spouse's signal as a signal. And so there's this disappointment, like I thought something was going to happen tonight and then it didn't, you know, or somebody feeling, you know, pressure because somebody was disappointed and they didn't even know, you know, that that was a thing. And so that simple thing of, okay, how do we initiate? Or how do we signal that we're open? Okay, can I tell one of my favorite stories? I just yes, I'm story. ready. One of my favorite stories, we, we actually talk about it in the chapter in the book because I just loved it so much, was this one guy and his wife, this one man and woman who had been married. I can't remember how many years they'd been married, but they had a couple kids, the usual busy life. And he was the sort of the stereotypical initiating desire, higher desire person. She was more the stereotypical 
receptive desire, slightly lower libido. So they realized they needed to have some way for her to signal her level of openness. Okay. And so they got a dry erase marker and on their master, in their master bathroom, like in this little inconspicuous corner of the mirror, she was a pharmacist and she worked these crazy long hours and she'd be tired sometimes. So on the mirror, she would write a number between one and 10 every evening. Like, you know, I've had a really hard shift. You know, my number today, you know, like numbers one through four was basically stay back if you want to keep your parts. Ah, I'm just not feeling it tonight. And I think eight, nine, or 10 was basically like, I'm a sure bet if you ask. And then, you know, five, six, and seven was like, maybe, like, you know, let's see what happens. Let's see what the attention level is like, you know. But it gave the husband, he would check the mirror when she got home from her shift every night. And it would give him a sense of, oh my gosh, the poor thing. She's had a hard day. Let's just, you know, sit on the couch and watch TV. Right. Versus, oh, okay. Like if I play my cards right, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) we we might get there. And if you have something like that, some way of signaling, it takes away all of this like edginess. Like, is it, is it not, is something going to happen? Is it not? And it takes away that sense of disappointment and pressure. And again, when you talk about communicating, that's another type of communicating. Right. Right. I love it. We had this couple we were working with and actually she was the initiator. And so we determined they needed a signal, a cue. cue. We call it a cue. (laughs) Yeah. So we're just like, y'all probably need to come up with a cue that you're like, you're, you know, things are moving in that direction. So funny, they decided the word cut cake was their cue. So they were at dinner with at someone's house. And so when they get, got in the car, he's like, you know, dessert was great, but there was no cupcakes. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I hear you. I'm like, I think it makes it fun. And like, I can imagine Absolutely. this guy getting up looking at the mirror at the end of the night. Well, like going, What's the number? What's the number? You know, you were saying that it reminded me, I don't know if you ever watched the show Shark Tank, but yeah. there was a show where somebody brought in an invention that was a cue system for both sides of the bed that one spouse could like hit the light if they were up for it and the other so they could cue each other. It's funny <sighs> that you're talking about this being a big issue because like the guys on Shark Tank laughed them off the set. I actually thought it was pretty genius, but they they thought it was ridiculous? Yeah, but I think it's oh I think God. you're proving the point that couples have yeah. a hard time. We can give them some statistics on how <laughs> stupid it was for them to laugh them off the set. <laughs> yeah. We actually looked at whether couples had some sort of a cue, had some sort of a signal, had some thing that they both knew how to interpret it, and those that didn't, or those that maybe one person thought they had a signal, but their spouse didn't know to interpret it as a signal, right? And if I'm remembering correctly, I'd have to go look up the numbers, but I think it was something like two-thirds or 70%, some number like that, of the couples that had signals were having a relative relatively decent, like intimate life and connection. And it was like 40% or 40 something of the couples that didn't like, this is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Statistically. 
Yeah. We find it all the time when we're coaching couples in this area that like one the first thing we say is like, hey, you got to come come up with a cue so that both of you know. So it's, Makes it's a good that the science is behind that. That's yeah, right. There you go. Now you got some numbers. That's, That's right. right. You know, when you're talking about you and Jeff, when you entered into this book at 25 years and now you're at 28 years of marriage, the things you didn't know that you're like, it made me think of, it's kind of sad and it's kind of exciting because for me, there's so much I didn't know. My mother still still hasn't explained the birds and the bees. And I've had three children. I really don't know how it happened. So I'm like, so really literally no information, not even just technique, but just the the science behind this, what you're talking yeah. about. It's it's crazy. But then it's kind of exciting because there's just so much more to learn. You know, when you're thinking, it yeah, is. it is. And it, so we've been so married. Much, and it's also learning about your spouse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, truly, that's, that's what's so cool about this is like the way we designed the book, for example, you know, our co-author, the sex therapist, like he knows that what people most need is just to be able to talk about it and connect about it, right? And so when he was really really from the very beginning, like we have to design this book so that it would be easy for the average couple to just read it together, like read it out loud to each other. And we've been hearing the coolest stories, you know, cause the book just is out, right? Like it's brand new. And we've been hearing the coolest stories of a couple be like, okay, we've never talked about this before, but this kind of gives us an excuse and, you know, they'll read, they said, you know, okay, we'll read half a chapter a night. And they end up reading like three or four sentences because it's like, is this how you feel? Wait, uh, really? Like, yeah, I've been trying to explain that to you, but you know, this gives words to it. And I'm, you know, I'm in the 80% here or, well, I'm actually in the 20%. That's not, I'm not the typical. And it's like, you know, they spend an hour or two talking about three sentences and suddenly there's so much more intimacy, like so much more close intimacy, not in the physical sense, like intimacy in the true oneness in your marriage sense, because you really get to know the other person. Right. Well, you answered part of my question and maybe there's more to it, but like, what would you want people to take away from this as they read it, which you really to start talking about it, obviously, but is there anything else that just comes to the top that you're like, as people read this, we're really hoping they take away what? We are really hoping candidly that they will take away a much greater sense of closeness, right? Like that they go, wow, like this actually helps me understand my spouse better because there's also like all this emotional stuff under the surface and I didn't know you felt that way. And, you know, all of that stuff we all get, right? Like we all get that that's in there. We don't know how to articulate it. And so the hope is, is that this will help validate both people, you know, where they both get a chance to try to explain things that maybe have been in there that they haven't known how to explain. And so then the overall goal, obviously, is to have this area of our marriage, instead of being an opportunity for conflict, now it's an opportunity for connection. That's great. You know, one of the things that has resonated with me with this book is the question that I never really contextualized it, that people ask this question is, are we normal? Yeah. You know, and so I think, I think that's the great thing about this book is it puts in context from research. What is normal? I mean, everybody's different, (laughs) right? And so I think so many couples, because we don't talk about it, because it's kind of a taboo topic, especially in the church world, you know, I think a lot of couples struggle is like, 
is is what's going on between us normal or not you know and it's so life-giving to know that you're not alone yeah jeff and i we were doing a marriage event at a church last weekend big church in omaha and the pastor and his wife they were so taken by this topic now you know the marriage event was a friday night saturday morning we covered other topics right like this this was just one of the topics we were covering and they watched out into the audience as they see these couples as we're talking through it and people are going like there's this life that comes to their face when they realize we are not alone you know and they and we did these things like we do these live polls where everybody's anonymous but you see it on the screen you know what percentage of people are the initiating versus receptive or whatever right and you see people go oh my gosh like you see all the men go wow 78 percent of the women in the room said they were receptive and you could see like everybody <laughs> like it completely changes people's viewpoint it's like oh my gosh this is real that's amazing the interesting thing is to know that we're normal in so many other facets of our life we want to hear about that we we want to know that like oh that makes yes. sense like when i think about marriage topics we often talk about we talk about conflict like conflict's normal conflict's a place that you can gain you know it's an opportunity for unity it's like but all those things but and you go oh as a married couple you go oh great it's great to know that you and james have conflict or other people have conflict but in this area the release of that you are normal these are normal challenges yeah. and even the yeah. gap there of like filling it with trust that that's not about you personally yeah. it's just about a not understanding one another what freedom yeah. oh my goodness well and also even things that are getting more to like the more technical side of things like you know one of the things that i was really surprised about not being a sex therapist right and because you know we don't talk about this with our friends that it was something like 30 i think 31 percent of women which is a like a big number, 31% of women had significant sexual pain at least every third time that they had sex. And it was like for women to go, oh, you know, I thought that I was the only one, right? Like I didn't know there was like a thing and you can do something about it. And it's like this life giving thing to go, I don't have to be in pain uh -huh. and I don't have to kind of shy away from it. And my poor husband doesn't have to like worry that he's hurting me, you know, like there's ways to deal with this. And it's some of this stuff, it's like, we just haven't talked about it. And so people have kind of stayed, they've stayed kind of in the shadows, right? Like they've stayed hurting and hiding and it's just not needed. There's yeah. so much life and freedom once you understand just how much there is out there and the fact that you're not alone. Yeah. yeah. Do you have plans to do any other resources with this book? Yeah, actually. So Dr. Mike and Jeff and I, we're actually creating a curricula for the church. Oh, come mm. on. Church, like church small groups. And how do we do this like in a safe way, right? Right. And so it's going to be a marriage curriculum with an intimacy focus okay. as sort of, and it gives people a chance to kind of sort of dip their toe into that and go, okay, this is, we've figured out how as a small group, we can talk about marriage stuff. And, and then if they want to choose to go a little further into the intimacy, they can keep going. And so, but that's one of the big things that we're going to be filming in two months. 
Oh, that's wow. fantastic. So we're very excited about that. And there's other things as well. Like we're creating an assessment and a streaming course just for couples to do privately. And there's going to be other things as well. We we actually, if you're interested, we actually have a website we've already created with a lot of resources. Yeah, we yes. love to have that. The, the website is the same as the book title. It's secretsofsexandmarriage.com. And, um, and so there's a bunch of articles there like about things like sexual pain. Like what do you do? And there's an article there for getting more help if you realize, wow, you know, like I need to get some specialized help in this particular area. We have resources to refer people onwards. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. You know, you were saying about the curriculum you're creating for churches. You know, one of the things we say at the church we attend is that the church should be the safest place for the hardest conversations. Yes. Oh, I love that. You know, oh my gosh, so, that is a great way of putting it. Yeah. So the fact that you're creating something in a safe place, in an environment where people can have the conversations, I think is really powerful. You talk about movies showing the the one view that you have this view of this is how it is. And yeah. we've just allowed the culture to speak in and educate us on things that's very, very shallow, very one dimensional. So we really appreciate what God is doing through you and in this book and just believing that it's going to make a difference that we're actually tackling the issue that we should be talking about it because it's God's design. So uh, thank you so much. Well, it's a great book and we're going to put the link in the show notes to all the places where people can purchase it. And we'd encourage listeners to definitely get it and read it, read it together with your spouse. What a great tool to do that open up communication and check out the website so that you can see what resources are there. That would be awesome too. Yeah. Shanti, thank you so much for taking the time to be thank on the podcast guys. with us. I really appreciate it. Wow. There is so much good content in that conversation. Hopefully you feel encouraged and inspired to get the book, read it with your spouse and have some great conversations around sexual intimacy. James, I believe that information is empowering. And this book is so informative. That's true. It really is such helpful content. So thanks again, Shanti, for spending some time with us to create this show. And thanks to all you listeners for taking time to listen to the podcast. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard today, we would love to connect. Email us at artespousing.com. You can also message us on Instagram at artespousing. We want to invite you back next week. James, I'm so excited this because I'm such an Enneagram lover. And I actually am a fangirl of Beth and Jeff McCord, founders of Your Enneagram Coach and authors of the books Becoming Us and More Than Your Number. And they're going to be on the show. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have great Enneagram conversation. And I'm so excited. That's awesome. We hope you'll join us for that. Have a great week and we'll see you next time in the Artist Spousing Podcast. Until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye.